legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Courtney Brown of the Farsight Institute, who joins us to discuss new video techniques for capturing images of UFOs. Debate about the existence of extraterrestrial life has continued for decades. What is certain, however, is that sightings of unidentified objects, lights, and other phenomena in the sky, on the ground, and elsewhere also continue to occur, apparently with increasing frequency. Whether physical or non-material, or some combination of the two, these phenomena present a challenge to the orthodox view of reality. Despite much talk of disclosure, government and other agencies remain evasive on the subject. And, as with most other matters, officialdom simply cannot be trusted to tell the truth. Moving on then, if extraterrestrials do exist and are visiting Earth, the next logical questions are, what are they doing and what do they want? Hello and welcome, Courtney, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Greg, it's my great pleasure. It's been a while since I've been on your podcast, so it's great to be here. I think it's six years, actually. Now, this represents a decade since you first came mm. on back in 2013, but I think it's been six years um, since you've uh, been a guest on the show. Now, we could talk about Farsight, uh, is your major project, and remote viewing itself, but... We've done lots of interviews together in the past. Those will all be linked on the interview page for this one. And indeed, in my recorded introduction, I'll be mentioning what remote viewing basically is and what Farsight uh, does. So maybe we should just you know, sort of cut to the chase, as it were. It's been a few years since you've been on. In the meantime, you've been working on developing your media platforms, but also more recently, uh, your new project regarding uh, UFO, UAP phenomena, uh, capturing images of that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give the floor over to you and you just get us started however you'd like to. Super. I can actually say we're the absolute largest venue of remote viewing studies, open public objects anywhere. I can say that categorically because we're the only venue <laughs> where you can get public projects of remote viewing. It's the only place where we, where you can actually go in and just see like what project after project after project. We've got like 75 major projects of, uh, remote viewing projects that we've done on every possible subject from political, uh, religious, um, archaeological, and a lot of extraterrestrial and, uh, UFO type stuff as well. So, and you know, when remote viewing as we do it is different from what other people do. Our remote viewers are trained for at least a year full time before they touch our projects. And, um, they're really the best, the best there is. Remote viewing is to do it well is really hard. And these people are the best there, the best there is. This is, those are perceptual processes that, 
Well, it's originally developed by the United States military and to this day is, is still used. Uh, they, they officially closed down their original project, but I'm, you can, you can be guaranteed they, they, they're not stupid. They still have operational remote viewing stuff going on, but it's a perceptual process that allows you to see, perceive across time and space. It works very well. And, um, we entered a new realm where we needed to be able to get to a larger audience. And in, in, in the day of day and age of censorship everywhere, um, it's just really very, very difficult. Uh, we had, we, we started our own streaming service because we couldn't, we couldn't count on anything. I mean, YouTube, for example, they canceled a very mainstream news show called The Hill. It's a show rising from the hill, and the hill is a is a major news outlet, uh, and and a digital news outlet, uh, in terms of text, digital text stuff, and I mean, lots of people get interviewed on it. It's really big, and they have a very great YouTube channel that now has 1.7 million subscribers, and uh, lots of people watch it, and everybody tries to get on it. Well, they canceled them. Now they're back. But for a while, they were canceled by YouTube simply because they showed a clip where Donald Trump was talking. <laughs> now, this is a news show. So they had to show a clip for Donald Trump. They didn't say anything about them believing that the election of 2020 was fraudulent. They were just showing what Donald Trump said in part of a news show. So they're back. But you have to be very careful in today's day and age. So we had to we realized we couldn't rely on any other venue to get our information out. So we have our own streaming service called farsightprime.com. So we don't worry about the censorship issue very much. And that we don't have any sexually explicit anything in our content. We have no violence on our content and we don't have any political views on our content because we're nonpartisan. So we don't have any, we don't have any extreme political views. So you can sort of say, what is the shadow banning all about? And it's about the extraterrestrial content. It started the month that Congress required the military, U.S. military, to to give um, information about the UAP slash UFOs to Congress. And that was J- June of 2021. That month is when the shadow banning starts. So it's clearly related to the UFO uh, alien extraterrestrial issue, which is uh, very interesting. Anyway. But Google also censors a lot of things doing that. We did a Mars project, for example, about a base on Mars. And uh, Haim Ashed, the former head of the Israeli Space Directorate for 30 years, has said there is an underground base on Mars where humans and extraterrestrials work side by side. Now, he's a former he's a general and now professor. Uh, and again, he was like their version of NASA, the head of the Israeli Space Directorate for 30 years. He has said that there are written agreements signed by the United States government and uh, extraterrestrials to allow them to conduct what they call experiments and uh, to operate here on Earth. And one of the requirements written in the agreements is that it keeps it be kept secret. So, uh, you know, the but he has talked about there being an actual base on Mars. So the the base on Mars issue is a really big deal. So we have really high resolution images of the base. Uh, it's really great. I mean, they have a, they have domes and they have a pipeline coming out of domes. And then you see, uh, a spray liquid being wastewater being sprayed out of the dome, out of the pipeline, out of a nozzle. It's really clear 
And um, that same exact spot on Google Earth in their Mars option is censored. It's it's not like a like sort of a mistaken sensor. It's real clear lines on top of that place so that you cannot see what's there. We always knew that at some point we'd have to do something that would prove to people that the extraterrestrials are real. Prove. And a real, I mean prove in the sense of prove, prove, like really prove. And that came about because there was an innovation in camera equipment that Panasonic released last year, 2022. They released the uh, Panasonic GH6 cameras. And their GH6 cameras allow you to record in 4K at 120 frames a second, which is what you need to capture UFOs because they go so crazy fast. You need 120 frames a second. If you just shoot at 25 frames a second or 30 frames a second, all you see is a dot on the screen. But if you shoot at 120 frames a second, you can actually see them and you can slow it down when you're editing the footage and so on. So that was a big deal for us. And so we, you have to, and we also have to shoot in infrared. So we take our GH6s and we ship them out to a company called Life Pixel. They convert the camera to what they call a full spectrum camera that can see into the infrared as well as the ultraviolet. And then we fit it with a filter on top of the lens that allows us to dial in the exact band in infrared that we want to capture. And what's really clear is that the UFOs are trying to hide themselves. Just like Hayam Ashad said with the agreements, <laughs> you can clearly see that they're really trying to hide themselves because you can only see them if you do specialized stuff to evade their tech. They could easily become visible. You could They could turn off their equipment that makes them visible only in infrared. And they could also slow down, fly slower. So they clearly do not want you to see them. But we can see them now, clear as day. And we have done a huge number of recordings. It's now possible to record on demand. Typically, our recordings are about 10 minutes long. And in any 10-minute to 15-minute video recording, we often get 40 or 50 UFOs uh, in in the middle of the day, meaning they're everywhere. So if you were to go to London, downtown London, and set up one of the cameras and point it straight up and just shoot for 10, 15 minutes and then bring it into Adobe Premiere and just edit it, you'd see it as well. You'd see a whole bunch of them. You'd have trouble figuring out which ones you want to focus on. Some of the footage that I watched in one of the videos you released, it reminded me a little bit of the first time that I looked at just simple tap water underneath a microscope, an electron microscope, is that you looked at the water... On the slide, just with the naked eye, it's just water. There's nothing there. And you look at it under the microscope, and suddenly there's hundreds and thousands of things, objects, just moving in all directions, doing crazy stuff. And anyway, that stuff, yes. those objects are always there. Uh, but part of the issue here was always to do with frequency spectrum. You know, like we know that even our pets, you know, cats and dogs can perceive um wider frequencies and you know light sound than humans can so you talk about the new developments in camera equipment you know part of the issue was always about our um, our instruments you know our scientific instruments and and what they can add to our own senses so just in perceiving what is already there yeah if you look at like bumblebees and goldfish they can see in in uh infrared and ultraviolet realms that we cannot see and 
uh, that we're totally blind to. So whatever frequency you're looking at, you're look opening up to, to new things. But the human eye is, and all the all of the cameras normally are restricted to see only what the human eye can see because you don't want uh, your picture in a camera to have a lot of infrared or ultraviolet stuff coming in because that would produce a haze over your whole camera. So for normal picture taking, you don't want the infrared and and the ultraviolet. So they they have a piece of glass on the top of the sensor for all cameras that blocks out the infrared and ultraviolet. And then it's and it's not, that's a good analogy you make, Greg, about looking at water and then seeing, well, there's nothing in this water, but you put it under a microscope and you see bugs all over the place. <laughs> so that's now, I understand the difficulty, the real difficulty with trying to convince people that UFOs, which after all, we're just talking about unidentified flying objects, or now that more fashionable UAP, unidentified aerial phenomenon, are actually some kind of off-world presence, off-world beings, off-world craft. There are some people who are already absolutely convinced, religiously convinced of this, uh, but persuading other people, I do get the difficulty and you're saying that, you know, what you're attempting to do is just bring another level of that to the table and just say, OK, well, you've seen this, you, you know, you're not convinced, try this. But obviously, lots of strange phenomena can be observed through cameras, through the naked eye, by all sorts of instruments at all levels, microscopic and macroscopic uh, on the earth and, and off. Uh, but how do you feel that what you're doing with the the, this, the new photography techniques or the expanded techniques is really changing the game if you see what i mean because when i saw yeah. the footage i see these objects moving but again it's still not something that i can put right in front of me and examine it's still it's still at a remove if you see what i mean yeah but there's a there's a difference here we realize that uh, the debunkers uh, that say that any image that you see they're going to find trouble with they're like cockroaches they're always there and they always come out whenever you have any evidence of anything real. And so the debunking cockroaches are just going to be always popping out. And they're hi they're highly active, especially on places like Wikipedia and, and even YouTube. When you have a YouTube uh, video that deals with uh, one of the groups of extraterrestrials, like reptilians or any or another group, they, they put up something uh, on the bottom of the video saying this is... This is this is not real. So to evade or to defeat the debunkers, our strategy is not just to show you what we do with our cameras, but to show you how to repeat what we do with our cameras, how you do it yourself. So at our normal website, farsight.org, at the top of the menu, uh, four links down at the top of the menu, there's a link called Recording UAPs slash UFOs. We go through exactly the steps that we use and then we give you examples, a lot of examples on a lot of our projects. You can see lots of examples of the UFOs that we have captured. Our goal here is to defeat the debunkers by getting other people to take their videos. So you can debunk anyone's video, but you can't debunk your own video. So, And that's starting. We're seeing a cottage industry of people that are actually starting to take their own videos. Oh, yeah. And I mean, in the realm of, of ufology, I suppose that's always been the case. I mean, some of the most famous pieces of footage or photographic images, uh, you know, and testimony comes from just, you know, ordinary people with no background, you know, no scientific or 
any sort of research background. They're just they've just encountered something, you know. So, but um, I suppose that again prompts the question. I mean, looking at certainly some of the very startling footage that that you have recorded and, and you know sort of shown other people how to record for themselves. There, there's certainly something real here. Uh, you know, if we use an expanded definition of real, as in like you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be strictly all confined to five sense three dimensional reality in the same way it doesn't have to be confined to the frequency spectrum that humans can see in here so the question the question really is then fine these things are real we're witnessing something here but the question is then what are they i mean that's that's the real nub of it isn't it you know we're seeing something but what are we seeing is it a range of things is it the same type of phenomena well we have a huge range of different types of vehicles we're actually seeing. We have some information that gives us a, a little bit of an insight about this. First of all, we have our remote viewing projects, which are the best that you can get anywhere. And they go behind the scenes. They go, you actually see what they are. We go into the ships and we describe what's going on and so on. However, the, the images themselves, the photographic images themselves, actually the video images are really clear. And the, the different configurations that we see uh, are like we have these orbs that are circular type of things. And then we have uh, sort of cigar-shaped, cylindrical type of crafts. And then we have uh, like rotating UFO saucer type of things that are spinning around. We have just a huge variety of different. And we also, in, we, in our, at farsightprime.com, we have a show called Identified Flying Objects that's hosted by Inti Salmon. And uh, one of the, the main participants in that show is Lincoln Lounsbury. Lincoln Lounsbury is a flight traffic controller who worked for decades as a major flight traffic controller across the United States, including for many, many, many years, the uh, Washington International Airport in Washington, D.C., and that's the most highly protected airspace on the planet. And he is the one who has been analyzing our footage and telling us the speeds of these UFOs. Because the the speeds, you have to be technically astute in order to be able to figure out how they're how they're how fast they're going. Typically, these UFOs are going twenty thousand miles an hour, or that's thirty two thousand kilometers per hour. Now, if you were to have a big UFO fly right over your house at 32,000 kilometers per hour, you would not see it. It would be totally invisible. It's just too fast. You just can't see it. But if you shoot it at 120 frames per second in infrared, you'll see it and as clear as day. And we have lots of footage that you can see on the Instagram, my Instagram page, for example, Courtney Brown Farsight, that you can actually see these things just and, and also people always have their phones or with them so if you're talking with somebody and you want to show somebody what do you think about this you just whip out your phone and just show them and it starts a conversation so uh, these clips are just simply amazing we they travel so fast we just assumed that they travel worldwide all over the place equally they can cross the united states in just a matter of seconds so if you see them over atlanta but they're going twenty thousand miles an hour they can be over California just a few seconds later. My assumption was that you could get them equally anywhere. So I did an experiment this summer. I went out to Africa, Kenya, 
And I tried to do the exact same thing of photographing UFOs there with our same cameras and so on. And I did five photo shoot days and I got only one UFO. So they're not equally present. They are really in great abundance over Washington, D.C. I mean, it's like Grand Central Station over Washington, D.C. I mean, you may think, you know, that's really highly protected airspace, but from what? Once you take the cameras and you look at everything that's flying up there, you say, what are they protecting it from? <laughs> These crafts go in and out at random, you know, whenever they want. And over Atlanta, where I am, the it's just like Washington, D.C. They're just everywhere, constant, all over the place and big. You can you can really see them. And uh, I'm positive over London, Greg, you'd get the exact same results. You'd get like tons of UFOs all over the place over London. But over Kenya, and I, I tried the coastal area around Malindi. And then I tried also Nairobi, uh, right very close to the Wilson Airport. And we it was we we got one UFO over Malindi. That's it. After five days of trying, now in the United States over Atlanta, one attempt for ten or fifteen minutes, we'll get typically fifty UFOs. I mean, they're they're all over the place. Well, I've seen a few maps over the years correlating UFO activity. You know, whatever you take that to be, you know, sightings or you know, yeah. however however it's monitored or collated. And always the hub of the activity has been North America, not 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 evenly distributed over the whole country either. But or well, I say North America, I mean USA, uh, you know, less so in Canada. And then you have other hot spots in Europe, uh, including the UK. And then you can see it gradually getting the hot spots getting a bit cooler as you go to other parts of the world. But there's certain parts of the world that are notably in the kind of green and blue zone, you know, with very little activity. So that's always led whatever you think is going on with these phenomena to to ask the question about you know is it somehow again correlated with human activity you know is there what's the relationship there yeah you know um but this is a situation where you're not relying on ufo reports from people this is a situation where you're sort of getting a survey with cameras that are pointed up in the sky in the same way and it's literally like collecting a survey with a sample. And so it's scientific in that sense. And we are noticing a big difference. So if you say in terms of just UFO reports that people report, that's anecdotal. But if you actually are recording these things on video, then you have a very clear demonstration. It's not anecdotal. You have their actual footage. They're not over Africa. Actually, they're not over, they're not over Kenya very much. However, I don't know about South Africa. So if you were to go to various big cities in South Africa, maybe they'd be there. You, you, don't, you don't know until you know. You have to actually... Yeah, but from, from what you were saying, though, the work that you have been doing with this photographic you know, techniques and you know, the results thereof is that it's, it's bearing out. It, it is correlating yes. with you know earlier distribution patterns of activity, which suggests that... Uh, aside from the relatively small number of like self-seeking kind of fantasists or mentally unstable people who are reporting these things, and actually a lot of the anecdotal evidence, past anecdotal evidence, has, has been genuine and honest. No, that's exactly right. So, but what I was saying is the the video recording stuff that we've been doing systematically is is backing up. It is reflecting 
exactly what you just said. It, it is backing up the anecdotal reports of people saying UFO activities are more common in certain areas. And when you actually point the cameras up and get a, a sample of these things, it, that is in fact a, that is in fact what's happening. Uh, there are hot spots. It was also interesting what you said about the types of you used the word craft. We have to call these things something. You know, object is like you know, let's just go with object craft, whatever any whatever term anyone's happy with. But you talked about types and subtypes of these that you've observed in your recent footage. That it's interesting that that also co correlates with past categories and subcategories of different types of shapes, movement patterns, you know, ways that you could um, organize these things. That's kind of borne out as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. the The entire issue of what these things actually are really can only be understood from the perspective of the remote viewing stuff combined with the photographic stuff. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to not have people rely just on the remote viewing stuff because they have to say, well, I don't know, is, is it real? But then when you combine the remote viewing stuff with the, photo, with the video recording stuff and us describing exactly the way that we took the video so other people can replicate it, then it raises it to an entirely new level. So it's very interesting. I, for example, if you look at the UFO video recordings that that the military has released, like the so-called Tic Tac, because the the thing looks like a throat lozenge, that's really crappy, really fuzzy, and it's hard to see anything clear on it. And they make a big deal about it. Our videos are way better than those. I mean, like way better than those. And I see our followers on Instagram that are now doing it with their own cameras. Uh, they're getting way better images as well. The whole, the cat is basically out of the bag. Now we, we know that officialdom actually watches our stuff because they respond when we start doing stuff. A lot of this disclosure stuff really started to ramp up when right after we started publishing not just the videos, but also, you know, the, the techniques for how to re replicate it, how to do your own videos. And that's when the congressional hearings started to crank up. The whistleblower stuff started to come out. Uh, now they, they, the, the mainstream isn't yet reporting on what we do, but they're clearly responding to it. And then you have also disinformation people popping up all over the place. Um, all, all major news outlets, all major news outlets have some people from every single one. There's not any that don't. They have somebody on the major news outlet that has some type of connection to the U.S. intelligence services, at least in the United States. And that means that they can always rely on getting something out that the intelligence people want in order to direct people away from a subject that they don't want people to be talking about. And that includes UFO groups, UFO groups out there that think they're just a bunch of new agers that are doing great stuff. They have people that work for the intelligence community in there and they don't even, you know, the, the groups don't even know who they are. And for example, there was a, a major UFO conference that took place this summer and somebody big got up and said, and don't look into the skies. Don't try. UFOs are so rare to find. Don't try to take your own. Just don't look to the sky. Don't try to get your own recordings of these things. Just follow what, what we publish. 
And that came out right after we started telling people how to make all the recordings of UFOs themselves and we're encouraging people to look to the skies and set up the cameras a certain way and edit it a certain way. So, you know, there we we get people responding to what we're doing, even if they don't talk about us by name. Well, talking about disinformation agents, Dr. Stephen Greer, I've, I've always just had been felt completely uneasy about what the information he's delivering it, how, why, just everything about the guy, even his body language I don't like, and I'm normally a pretty good judge of people. And then the side of the pond, you've got Nick Pope, who to me is just everything that he's, I don't know what he's involved in in the past, we know what he says, but every, all of his pronouncements, it's just a whole lot of nothing really. With both of those people, you see them uh, appearing on mainstream outlets which tells you right away <laughs> what's going on to those people. However, um, Stephen Greer is an interesting person because his bottom line, his story, is that all of you, that all of the UFOs are real and they're all extraterrestrials and they're all good. That's what his line is, that everything is good. And the only thing that's bad is the humans, that the human governments that are trying to squash everything. And if the governments would only free up the information, the planet could be free. Now that, that line, I mean, I, I know Stephen, that line, I, I, I just don't, the thing is just so stupid. I don't know where to begin. There's no organization on anywhere. If you look at earth, nowhere do you, nowhere can you say that all people are good or all governments are good. What we clearly find, uh, with the UFO phenomena, is that we've investigated it more than anybody else by far. And what we clearly find is that there are two basic categories of aliens. There are good ones and bad ones. The bad ones are fascist and they, they are involved in huge levels of human trafficking. And they have written signed agreements with the United States government and a few other governments. Uh, and that's something that Haim Meshed, former head of the Israeli Space Directorate for 30 years, has stated publicly. <clears throat> so the bad ETs uh, are doing lots of things that people would not agree with and not want them to do. In addition to that, you have academics such as David M. Jacobs and John Mack, the late John Mack, who have published books about the so-called abduction phenomenon. And now, you know, the, the people who just say the ETs are all good, everything's fine, the problems are just humans, they're like not watching, they're not reading, they're not, they're not tuned into everything. So it's not just our remote viewing studies. David M. Jacobs has, 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 uh, and John Mack, they've, they've interviewed lots of people. David M. Jacobs has actually interviewed probably the most. And they, they have detailed what actually, People and people say happens to them when they get abducted. And some of these things are done under hypnosis, but it's actually easy. It's actually possible to break the hypnosis. When a people get abducted, they're given a hypnotic suggestion to forget. It's, it's capable. It's possible to break that suggestion. So people become resistant to it. So they remember it after it happens. And then the, he's inter- David M. Jacobs has interviewed zillions of people who clearly described the ETs doing terrible things and they're, they're not good. And he has, 
he has claimed that he's uh, that that it's actually a process of planetary acquisition. He doesn't understand the entire picture, though, because he I don't have any problems with his data and his methods, but he only looks at the abduction people. So he doesn't look at every at the at the at the non-abduction ETs. So we have found that the other group of ETs, uh, the good ETs, who are actually opposed to the bad ETs, and the bad ETs are dominant on the planet Earth. They're the ones that have written agreements with the United States government and some other governments. And if you're and if you're a student, you know anything about this field and people like Hayamashed and other things, that's not really in dispute. But the good ETs are dominant in the solar system, meaning there's more of them militarily and strength-wise in the solar system. And they want to free the planet, essentially. But the bad ETs are dominant on the planet Earth. The trouble is that the good ETs cannot invade and kick out the bad ETs because the human population would would be thinking of the good ETs as invaders and ask the governments to protect themselves. It's like saying you think that the people of Russia are not being satisfactorily guided by their governments that are controlling the information or China and people aren't free in China because they don't get free information. So let's invade. So you, you, you can't send American aircraft into Russia or China to free the Russian or Chinese people. The Russian and Chinese people would actually have a fit and they demand that their governments defend themselves from the invading Americans. So the, the good ETs just can't invade. The good ETs, uh, really have only one option. They have to trigger a revolution from below. So the bad ETs basically have all the leadership in their pockets. The, the political leadership, the military, the uh, uh, major corporate leadership. But the good ETs have the public in their pocket. The good ETs have been, uh, for example, they have been seeding information into the television and movie realms for a long time. What they do is uh, they feed information into writers' minds when they're sleeping. And then they wake up in the morning. And they say, wow, that's a great idea. I think I'm going to have a new show. And so you get Star Trek, you get Star Wars, you get the Matrix movies, you get a whole bunch of stuff coming out on TV and and movies, and you get used to the idea of stuff that's that's out there in the galaxy. So the people are sort of ready for it. And had the good ETs not done that, the people would never, that we would be back in the Stone Ages. On the other hand, though, the governments are controlled by the the bad ETs. So that's where we are right now. And the disclosure process is slowly moving forward, but it is at least moving forward, largely because of stuff that we at Farsight are doing and some others. Uh, But, you know, if you look at the stuff that the whistleblowers have been talking about, like David Grush, who was one of the major whistleblowers to talk over the summer uh, in in congressional hearings that were public, uh, he's... They, people are always focusing on with David Grush, are we alone in the universe? Are the ETs real? Which is so stupid. They're obviously real. No one's asking the important questions, which is, what are the ETs doing? <laughs> so if you look at people like Stephen Greer, they're talking about the ETs are just all good. And that's not true. The ETs are not all good. And the ones that are involved, and if he's complaining about the the governments, the U.S. government and other governments sort of hiding the information from the people. Well, why do you think they're hiding the information from the people? The the ETs themselves have written agreements to keep this information secret in exchange for some tech help. But if you so know, much of this is if so much of this is happening beyond the limits of human perception, 
then why would any interaction between ETs, whatever their motivation, whatever their intent uh, towards life on Earth, you know, why would that? Why could that not occur beyond the limits of our perception? Why would it have to, for to use your scenario, why would that have to involve, um, you know, a manifest visible, in, you know, invasion from off world? If what's already happening is uh, we're not uh, mostly not aware of. Well, this planet is being operated as a prison planet by the bad ETs. They consider it their territory. If the good ETs come in and try to break it up, there'll be a war, a shooting war. And the human population will be rattled and probably think the good ETs are the bad ETs and the whole thing. And the, the bad ETs wouldn't mind at all blowing up the entire planet because it would like, teach the rest of the galaxy a lesson. You messed with our stuff and we'll destroy the whole thing. So the good ETs are sort of walking on eggs. There's only so much they can actually do. And there are agreements between the good ETs and the bad ETs not to invade each other's turf. So the good ETs just can't come in. Now, we have had a lot of contact. I have been open about this this year. I've always been quiet. I've been secret about it. Um, from the very beginning, because I didn't want to get people distracted on this. But, but this year we found out that the, the bad ETs were going to come up with a story that the stuff we're doing at Farsight is actually like, uh, an alien invasion to, to, you know, pollute stuff. And so we decided that we had to come out and be open about the contact that we've actually had with the good ETs. So we have had and continue to have regular contact with the good ETs. Uh, that they were talking physical contact and we're talking, I have been on the ships, for example, that type of thing. And we're being open about that. And we're showing people how to take video recordings of the ships themselves so that they can, because you know, Greg, you can introduce yourself to people only once. And if your opponents introduce you to people, then you've got to correct everything and it becomes a mess. So I have, I have a video out on YouTube, uh, called my own background with extraterrestrials. You know, that's something we've had to, we've sort of had to be open about now that we've gotten a lot of help from the, the good ETs, uh, both in terms of remote viewing procedures. They really helped <laughs> the, the, the original remote viewing procedures that the U.S. military developed were clunky, to be honest. They just, they, they, they weren't structured enough to get the kind of information that we needed to get. I mean, they were good. They worked, but they were clunky. So we had to refine the procedures a lot to get the kinds of information that we wanted. And they're genius, the procedures, but we didn't invent everything. <laughs> we were, we were given information. We were told what to do and a lot of these things. And, uh, the procedures were, I mean, we would come up with designs and they'd tell us, well, try this, try that. And we, we change things and tweak it. And till we finally got procedures that were working really great. So, you know, so we have had a lot of contact and, uh, we're trying now to be open with everybody about that. And, uh, and then when people say things that are crazy, like what you just said about what Stephen Gurr is saying about all the ETs are good, we have all of our projects that we've done that we spent decades developing. That's a complete revision of human history. Nothing that you get in school is correct with regard to human history. And, uh, and it, it shows that the ETs have been extremely abusive over thousands of years. And the fact that they're desperately trying to hide themselves, which we can prove by teaching you or anybody how to take your own video recordings, you can see clear as day they're trying to hide themselves. 
So it's not that you have to believe somebody else. You don't have to believe anybody. Just get the camera, follow the instructions, and you see for yourself. So it's really, it's really clear that it's a very complicated mess out there. And it's just like Earth. It's just like us humans. As above, so below. We have good countries, bad countries. We've got people that are fascist. We've got people authoritarian. And we've got fairly open societies as well. We've, we've got the whole mix. But our open, our more open societies, for example, in Western Europe, Britain, Western Europe, so on like that, we can't, we can't invade the less open societies. We don't like go in with troops. Well, that's the exact same thing with the ETs. Uh, if they have a planet that they're sort of controlling because they've locked in the leadership, the good ETs are looking for an option to get a or sort of a, a revolution from below. Now, what we'd like to do in authoritarian governments that we want to have better relationships with is for the people to rise up and demand change. So the United States would like the Chinese people to rise up and demand a more democratic form of government, a more open form of government, greater communication, less censorship on the internet, so on like that. We would like the same thing with Russia. But we can't achieve those results by invading Russia or China, but we can be supportive of efforts to open up lines of communication from within those countries so that the information percolates out by themselves. And that's exactly what the good ETs have been doing. But now it's up to us to sort of push that agenda along so that we have a, a disclosure movement that is that is faster. But I, I've seen exactly the people you're talking about. I've seen those people on sort of major news outlets. And I'm always saying, well, that tells you something. <laughs> so, so if uh, we think about if, if we think about capital D disclosure, uh, which I would characterize as you know coming from you know a top down government, military, secret service, whatever, but an establishment thing, you know, people decrying the lack of this, you know, uh, you know, evidence being covered up, you know, everything from Roswell onwards, and on the other hand. Uh, you're talking about uh, making the, the videos as photographic techniques, uh, and this would, how can I put it, expedite you know disclosure as you know people take this power into their own hands. But equally, flipping back to it as a, as a top-down process, we talked about government being enthralled to negative influences, but yet and all there has been talk. You spoke of congressional hearings and whatnot. There has been pressure at government levels. Well, allegedly, that's what we've been told. But why would we expect a government enthralled to, to governments enthralled to these negative influences to come forward with anything positive or useful or constructive or even true with regard to to ETs? Well, that's exactly right. If they do have, and they do have, written agreements with the with certain extraterrestrials, and those agreements allow the extraterrestrials to do experiments, the experiments that the word experiment is a buzzword that is used to cover up human trafficking they're not doing experiments they're kidnapping people that concludes part one of our interview part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com legalizefreedom.com <laughs>